Hi. <laughs> um, it's great to be here. Really good to be here. Am I on? Can you guys? Okay, good. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Thank you so much for uh, your hospitality and uh, just letting me come in and, and share the word as we share this series, this I Am series, the seven statements of, uh, that Jesus makes about who he is uh, in the, found in the book of, of John. Um, just uh, last week, I, uh, well, not me, but um, had a baby. Yeah. It's our, uh, our, our third child. Uh, Beckham William Scott Johnson is his name, and so he's, uh, he's less than, than two weeks old. And uh, so I'm thinking, oh, you're not supposed to see that yet. <laughs> That's for later. <laughs> so I, but what I am thinking right now is um, that we can practice the Christian discipline of prayer and silence and solitude for about the next half hour. You're all right with that? It's been a long couple nights in the Johnson household. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> um, we're, uh, yeah, we're in the book of John, and we're looking at the I Am statements of, of uh, who Jesus says and declares that, that he is. And, uh, and John has a really specific uh, purpose in his, in his letter, that, and it's different than uh, all the other letters that, that you'll read when it comes to the Council of Christ and the Gospel letters. And, and, and what John really wants to get at in his letter in, in, the, in the Gospel of John is, is the deity, the, the, the divinity of who Jesus is, that Jesus is, is 100% man, and he's 100% God. And, and, he, and he makes his claims to say, hey, I am, this, I am God, and I am here among you. In, in certain circles, uh, you'll hear different words, uh, a word that is uh, it's called Christology. Have you ever heard of the word, the, the term Christology before, hands raised? You guys heard of the term Christology? There's two uh, versions of Christology. You can have a low Christology, and you can have a high Christology. Okay, a low Christology says that Jesus was a human being that had uh, good teachings. He was a moral teacher, he, a good philosophy uh, philosopher, maybe one of the better revolutionaries of the day, uh, maybe a, perhaps a, a, an earlier version of, of Gandhi. That would be uh, a low Christology. That is, Jesus as a human being without uh, him being God. If you have a high Christology, then, then you would say that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he came from, uh, he, he came as God into this world to redeem and to restore mankind and all creation, okay? So here at SunWest, uh, do we have a low Christology or do we have a high Christology? High, all right, I like that. That's right, we have a very high Christology. Matt, you're doing something right here. That's good. High Christology, yeah. We believe that Jesus is God and that he's part of the Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the book of John, it goes through some of these statements that Jesus makes. And so I'm going to read out of uh, John chapter 8. And if you have a Bible with you, then uh, let's, let's turn to John chapter 8. And actually, I'm going to start in the last verse of the previous chapter in John chapter 7. And we're going to look at the statement that, G that Jesus makes today. I am the light of the world. It's this incredible statement that Jesus makes. But there's also a story that's going on behind the scenes here that, when, that we might uh, gloss over when we're thinking of Jesus making this declaration of him being the light of 
the world. And so I want to dive into that, that account this morning with, with you guys. So I'm going to read this passage, 12 verses in John 8, and then, and then we're going to, I'm going to read a corresponding passage after that, and then we'll, we'll go into the text here. So let's read this. Then, then each went to his own home. It's referring to the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses, law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this as a they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's turn over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, what we just sang about moments ago, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege, a blessing it is to gather together as children of God, called by name from before time. And Father, we just pray that over the next 30 minutes as we look into your word, as we look at what your provision is and who you say you are and how we can participate in that. Father, I pray that there, your light of life would shine. It would shine broadly for all to see. And Father, I also pray that it would shine deeply into the deep corners, into the deep recesses of our life and root out the areas of darkness that is present. We commit ourselves to you. We love you. We are grateful for this community of, of believers. In your name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So I want to focus on uh, 
John 8, 12, where Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of, of life. It's one of the, the great I am statements of Jesus. And what, in, the, in the context and where he's saying this, it's, uh, it's happening. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, has anyone heard of this feast, the Feast of the Tabernacles? Anyone? Okay, we got a couple. I didn't. I had no idea. What in the world is the Feast of Tabernacles? I had no idea. And so, so this is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's, it's a pretty uh, cool uh, thing that was going on. It was really important in the Jewish calendar. It was the longest feast of the year in the Jewish calendar. It lasted eight days. And what it, it was, people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem, and they would gather in Jerusalem around the temple courts and outside the temple courts, and they would remember God's provision for the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, wandered the wilderness, and into the promised land. And remember how God provided for the, for the children of Israel at that, at that time. Do you remember that? I think, Matt, you talked about the manna and the bread of life a couple weeks ago, right? So that was part of the provision. There was another part of the provision that God uh, provided for the children of Israel, and that was there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that, that led the, the nation of Israel during that time. And so the nation of Israel, uh, here we have in Jesus' time, they would gather together in Jerusalem, and they would, and one of the other names was called the Festival of the Booths. And so they would come and they would make these, um, these little huts and tents, and people would live in these tents for just over a week, eight days, and it was like, it was party time, right? And at the, at the uh, temple courts, uh, there was these four large torches and lamps, and they would light these torches, and they would light these, these lamps, and it would last for eight days, kind of like the Olympics. Remember, you know, in the Olympics, there's 15 days of games, and, and they have the, the Olympic torch that's lit that lasts all uh, 15 days. And at the end of the 15 days, when the games are over, they extinguish the flame to signify that the games are over. The same sort of deal with, with this. Uh, they would have these torches lit for eight days, and the glow of these torches would, would literally fill the city of Jerusalem, and so everyone could see that there was these torches that were lit during these eight days, this, this festival. And so it was the last day of this festival that Jesus comes in, and he's with, and he's participating in the, in the festival, and he comes in, and he stands at the, at the foot of the temple where these, where these lamps have been lit to remind the the Israelites, of God's provision and how he led them as the light, as the pillar of fire. And he comes in and he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the life of light. And so while it's fresh in everyone's memory, he makes this incredible statement. And this statement includes everybody, not just the nation of Israel but everybody. But there's something else that's going on in this, in this story because um, the night before, Jesus, he leaves the party and he goes to the Mount of Olives. And this is a regular practice of Jesus. We see this often in, in his ministry and life, don't we? He, he, he disengages from people. He goes to be in communion with Abba Father, to hear from him, to, be, to be, receive life from him. And then he comes back and he reengages in people and in ministry. And so this is what Jesus does. He, he leaves the party. He goes back to the Mount of Olives. He spends some time over there. And then the next morning he comes back. But he comes back into a very different environment. It's a very hostile environment. An angry environment that he comes into because in the previous night there was a man and a woman that had engaged in an act of adultery 
They were caught. They were found out. There were eyewitnesses to this event. That's a little strange. So they bring this woman that was involved in this act of adultery. And the Pharisees and the scribes, and they bring this woman, and, and there's a group of people, there's a crowd that's in front of the temple courts. And then here's this woman, and she's shamed, and she's embarrassed, she's scared for her life. And the Pharisees and the scribes see Jesus coming in, and say, okay, teacher, what should we do with this? You, you, you know what the law of Moses says, that we have to stone her. She needs to be put to death for this act of adultery. Now, what do you say we should do? And uh, it's, it's really important because uh, um, they're not really looking for advice. They don't really care what Jesus thinks. They're looking to trap him, and they, they knew this about Jesus. They knew that Jesus loved people, that Jesus was kind to them, and that he always took the side of the poor, the oppressed, the shame, and, and the guilty. He's being called a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors. It's not meant as, as a compliment. And, and this woman that is in front of Jesus and in front of this crowd is certainly guilty of her crime. But so are the scribes and so are the Pharisees that bring this woman to Jesus and to the crowds. They're guilty as well. If you go back into uh, Leviticus and you look at the sexual ethics that Moses lays down for the nation of Israel, when he's talking about sexual morality and sexual ethics, he, it's always this. When, it, when a man and a woman, when a man and a, and a married woman, married wife, when, when a man and, and so and so, and he puts the responsibility on the man. And what's wrong with the situation that we find ourselves in right now? There's no man in this situation. It's just a woman. So they're already contradicting themselves with the very law that they're trying to trap Jesus into. And Jesus' response to this, this trap is this. He bends down and he starts writing on the ground with his finger. And at some point during this exercise, he straightens up and he talks to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says, if any one of you is without sin, you guys can, you throw the stone. And silence. And what he says is anything. And Jesus goes down and he starts writing on the ground again. And we don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground. Uh, but we know the effect that happened when Jesus wrote on the ground. Because it says, at this, when he wrote on the ground the second time, those who, began, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman. Now, what did he write? Okay, that's the, that's the $64,000 question here. What in the world is it that Jesus wrote on in the, in the sand that would disarm this angry mob and, of, of people? I want, to make a, I want to make a suggestion as to, as to what he, he wrote. It's not in scriptures, uh, but there is, there's, there's grounds for this suggestion. And it's just a suggestion, okay? Uh, I'm not talking doctrine, dogma, or anything. This is just opinion, okay? So don't, don't hold this against me. I don't want to see emails. Drew is speaking outside of Christian doctrine. That's not at all what's happening. It's uh, actually based on earlier, some earlier manuscripts about this event. It gives us a little bit more detail. Um, also, oral tradition gives us some, some more detail, as well as there's a, there's a 
verse in the Old Testament that kind of might, might shed some light on this. And this verse in, is uh, Jeremiah 17, 13. In the previous chapter to this, in, in chapter 8, Jesus is, he says this, makes this statement, says, if anybody is thirsty, come to me and drink. And he's, he's referring to uh, springs of living water that's uh, talked about in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, says, says this, those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. It's kind of a, a, a bleak prophecy from the Old Testament, but, but could it be in light of that verse when Jesus stooped down? And what I want you to do with me here is I want you to put yourself in the story. I want you to just to see what, what's going on here. And when Jesus, as he stooped down, he began to write the names of the accusers of this woman in the ground. And he looks up, and he sees the Pharisees, and he sees the scribes, and he sees those that are accusing this woman, and he writes down Benjamin, Gamaliel, David, Caleb. And at some point during this process, he gets up and he says, any one of you that is without sin, Without, without sin, you can throw the first stone. And he goes down and he writes again. And according to oral tradition, what he writes the second time is a list of sins that have been committed. And so you have these Pharisees, you have these scribes, you have these religious leaders that are watching Jesus write their name on the ground and then also writing sins. Maybe these sins are specific. Maybe they're general. I don't know. And again, this is just a suggestion. But look what happens. Whatever it is that he wrote on the ground, he disarms them. And it says, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. And I wonder why the older ones left first. I, I think there's something interesting about uh, as we age, as we, as we grow older, people either, uh, we, we grow in two ways. We're going to grow and we're going to become more kind and loving and gentle and understanding, more patient as we grow older, or we grow more hard and we grow bitter and we grow cynical. Uh, but we don't stay the same. Uh, none of us stays the same. We're always growing into something. We're always being transformed into, into something. I was talking about this with my dad, who's here uh, this week, and he's speaking over at the McKenzie campus this morning, and, and uh, we're talking about his dad, and his dad was, I uh, grew up a uh, farmer, into army, into, into preacher, and, and that's the home that grandpa grew up in, so when I was a little boy, my grandpa was, uh, he, I, just, I just remember him being stern, he was a very strict individual, that was his, that was his life. My grandpa just turned 93 years old, and, uh, and I, over Christmas, we spent time with him, and we, I sat down with my grandpa, and, and we just talked and laughed, and he just told me stories, and I'm like, Grandpa, that's not even appropriate. How can you say that? You're 93 years old. Like, what? No, you can't. And he's just laughing, and he's growing, and he's becoming more gentle and more kind, and it's beautiful, and we are always growing into something. 
in, uh, in, in the New Testament, back in the New Testament, in the Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so these, these men, these religious leaders of the day, they thought that they, had, uh, they were going to lay bare the sins of this woman. But what actually happened in this scenario is that it was their own sins that were laid bare. You know, one of the best ways of covering up our own sins is to accuse other people of theirs. People who judge the most are generally those that are hiding the most. That's why Jesus in Matthew 7, he talks about this issue of judgment. And he says, hey, why are you dealing with the speck in somebody else's eye when you got the log that is in your own eye? And so suddenly, these men, their, their sins were, were laid bare. And, and, and though they were picking on this woman, and they were accusing this woman. And so Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they after they had left? And he says, has no one condemned you? And no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And see what Jesus is doing here. He says earlier in John, I did not come to condemn this world, but I came to save this world. And he came to cleanse, and he came to forgive, and he dealt with her past, and he deals with her future. And he says, go now and leave your life of sin. And I was thinking of this woman, and I was thinking fast forward to the end of Jesus' life, and, and after the resurrection, and Jesus had ascended into heaven, and it's the day of Pentecost, and all that remains of Jesus' ministry is 120 individuals. And I was thinking to myself, would it be that this woman who received so much grace from Jesus in this moment was among those 120 people? waiting for the Holy Spirit to fill their lives so they could begin to live a life of holiness, a life of joy, a life of, that is infused by the power of, of God. And then it's in this next verse that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To the sinner, and to the religious, to the adulterer, and to the Pharisees, Jesus would shine the light of truth into their own lives and into their hearts. And this is so important for us because no matter where we are in our spectrum, in our faith walk, whether we consider ourselves faith, faithful, mature individuals and believers of Christ, or we're still, we're, we're working this out and we're deciding what, what, what it is that we do believe. What we have to understand about this is that it's his light of life. It's not a light of condemnation. It's a light of life. This is what enables us to go from darkness into, into life. And, and Job, uh, Job, he's talking about the character and the nature of God. And he says this, he reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. This week I came across um, a video. Uh, Terry Crews. You guys know who Terry Crews is? Yeah, a couple people. Old Spice guy. Big guy, black guy with the muscles, and he like, like flexes his muscles, and there's a whole orchestra that is conducted by his muscles. And they actually asked if I wanted to do that role, and I said, you know, I'm preaching this week. I can't do that. Give it to, give it to Terry. He, he'll, he'll take care of that. And, and so, uh, so Terry, uh, he, he came out, he put out a, a thing on, uh, on his YouTube channel, and uh, I'd like you to take a look at it. At it. Two, two minutes long here. Do we, do we have it? Tell me we have it. We have it. Okay, here it is. 
Hey, what's up, Facebook family? How you doing? It's me, Terry Crews, again. Um, I just want to address some things real quick, man. Um, you know, the subject is dirty little secrets. And, you know, for years, years, my dirty little secret was that I was addicted to pornography for years. Now, most of you who are on Facebook are using the internet. And I've, it's kind of crazy because this thing has become a problem. I think it's a, uh, you know, a worldwide problem. But pornography, um, it really, really messed up my life in a lot of ways. And, you know, the thing is, it, it became a thing where I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody. It was a thing that, it was my secret, nobody knew. And that allowed it to grow. And it got bad. And when I say bad, so, some people deny it. They say, hey, man, you know, you can't really be addicted to pornography. There's no way. But I'm going to tell you something. If day turns into night and you are still watching, you probably got a problem. And that was me. Um, it affected everything. I didn't tell my wife, didn't tell my friends. Nobody knew. But the Internet allowed that little secret to just keep, stay and grow. And it was something that, you know, my wife was literally like, I don't know you anymore. I'm out of here. And that changed me. It had, I had to change because I realized, yo, this thing is a major, major problem. I literally had to go to rehab for it. And the thing what I found is that by not telling people, it becomes more powerful. But when you tell and when you put it out there in the open, just like I'm doing right now to the whole world, it loses its power and everybody wants you to keep this little secret don't tell anybody don't uh, whisper and this and this i'm telling and i'm putting it out there let me tell you something yeah and he goes on and he explains his his battle with uh with pornography you see those those deep hidden secret things of darkness those are, those are where danger resides. Secret sins are, are the most toxic sins because it's in, it's in those, that secrecy, it's in the darkness where the sin grows. We can't, we can't say that this is just a private thing. This is just a private matter. I'm going to get over this on my, on my own. I'm going I'm to deal with this on my own. We can't say that. I know that from experience. I know that from talking to so many people. We need other people in our lives. And when those secret things that are in our lives and they're in darkness and darkness grows, darkness expands, and it's the same thing with those sins. And you know what I'm talking about because, because you, some of you, there are things in, in, in your life that you wouldn't have even dreamed would be there 10 years ago. Because in the secret, those things expand. It might not be pornography. I mean, it could be a multitude of, of issues. And they have to be brought out in, in, into the light. And so uh, in, in Scripture, Psalm 90, verse 8 says, You spread out our, our sins before you, our secret sins, and, and you see them all. Another translation says, They have been brought out into the light, to the light of your presence. And we see those verses and we read those verses. And then for a lot of us, as we are thinking about those things that are in darkness in our life, there's a fear factor that comes up and we get afraid of that. We don't want those things to be exposed. 
But don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of the light of life that comes from Christ because God wants us to expose our sin, not, not to accuse us, not to humiliate us, not to condemn us, not to rub our noses in the dirt, but always to liberate us, always to bring us freedom, to cleanse us and to empower us. And so if we want to walk in freedom, in the life-giving freedom that is found in, in Christ, then those things, those areas of darkness, those secret sins that are in our life, they have to come out. It's why in John, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. And then and it goes on in verse 6. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. There's a couple things that are going on here. To have fellowship with God is the nature and the purpose of our Christian walk. And this relationship, it it involves growth and perseverance. It involves activity and, and endurance. And just like any friendship and just like any relationship that we have in our life that is of value, it's a relationship that is, needs to be cultivated and needs to be nurtured. It's a journey that is to be experienced and to be lived out. It is a walk with God. It is a walk to God. And it is a walk that leads us into greater intimacy with God. That's one of our core values here at SunWest, isn't it? Intimacy with, with God. Just yesterday, I, I, did, a, I did a wedding uh, last night. And, and so we're, we're, we're talking about this, this whole area of, of what it means to, to know one another, to be intimate with, with one another. You know, in Scripture, to know one another, it, it goes so far beyond the physical. It goes to the level of the soul. And this is when, as Sun West, when we talk about we are a church that wants to have intimacy with God, it goes so far beyond just an experience. It goes to our intellect. It goes to our emotions. It goes to our actions. It goes to the very core being of who you are. It goes to the soul level. And this is, our, this is our relationship with God. To have fellowship with God in this manner is the nature and the purpose of Christ. And the warning for us is that if there's that darkness, that secret sins that reside in our life, there's, if there's anything that would hinder this relationship with God from growing, from coming to a place where we can know God and He can know us, to, to root that out. There's another, there's another area about this, which we don't, maybe don't talk about as much. And it's to walk in the light is, is a walk that's in fellowship with others. And some of us, we have uh, difficulty bringing our, our true selves, who we really are, into the light with other people. Is that true? Is that just me? I, I think we can all identify with that to some degree. Because I think, I think we're, we're nervous, we're scared, there's a fear factor again, that is, what, what are they, they going to see? Like, if they, if they see, what are they going to think when they, when they see the real me? And then for some of us, it actually goes down to maybe a, a, another level. It's not even just, what are they going to think of me? It's, what are they going to do with that information? And so, and so we have these scenarios that prevent us from really being authentic with other individuals and believers. I, I, I heard a, a, a wise man, he, he once said it, he put it like this. He said, um, 
Um, I will be your garbage can if you like. You just give it to me, and we will throw it in the garbage can. I, said, I thought, man, what a relief that would be to just talk to somebody and know that they're not going to hold it against you. They're not going to lock and load it back in a rifle and fire it back at you at a later time and, and a date, but they're just going to throw it away, and then you can just move on, and you can walk in the life that is, that is Christ. Mark Buchanan, he says, when it comes to confession, we need to be more like Catholics than evangelicals. I like that. The idea of confession, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's lost on us. We don't like to participate in it. We don't like to do it. But it's so important in, in our Christian walk because here's the reality. We tend to repeat the sins that we only confess to God. Right? Those sins that are just like uh, the, the private prayer that, that we make, that we say, this is just between uh, me and God. Those are, those are the sins that we tend to repeat, not the ones that, that we talk about it with somebody else, that we can journey with somebody else, that we can be in community with somebody else, that we can be held accountable to by somebody else. It's just the private ones that we tend to repeat over and over again. John Wimber, uh, he was a preacher. He's with, he's with the Lord now. And, and he, he, says, he says it like this. Um, he said, when a Christian is caught in a sin that involves other people, be it sexual, financial, or relational, his experience was that they would fall into two categories. Uh, there's one category that says, I have confessed this to God, and God has forgiven me, and it is right with him, so you don't need to get involved. Stay out of my business. This is between me and God. I don't know if there, anyone knows anyone, or maybe you are one of those people that is like that. This is what John Wimber says about, about uh, a person like that. You cannot help a person who says, I put it right with God. What are you so fussed up about? The other category, he said, are those who say I've failed, I have fallen, and I need your help. Those are the kind of people, said John Wimber, who have a future. They can be restored. And the reality of our restored fellowship with God is going to be evidenced by our fellowship with other believers. That's why John, he writes, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that word purifying, I really like that word. It's a rich, it's a rich word. Cleansing is a good word. Purifying, it says that the poison is being drawn out. It doesn't mean, though, that we have to tell everybody what's always going on in our lives. But what it does mean is, is those things that have a foothold. In, in your life, those things that is, has, has a grip in your lives, that have become a, habitual in your lives, you need someone who you can say, hey, can I, can I share this with you? In my uh, small group, I've uh, been in for the last couple years, and uh, there's a, a couple of my small group, and uh, just recently they just shared what was going on, and it was really difficult for them to, to share some of those things that were in the dark. But it was brought to light. And as it was being brought to light, it was incredible to watch the, the community surround them, love them, pray for them, cry with them, laugh with them, support them, and, and journey with them. But it happens when we're, when we're not afraid to bring what is in the dark and bring it into, into the light. I want to finish with a, with a verse in, uh, in Psalm 139, verse 23, where David writes this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Neil to come up and, and he's going to lead us in, in worship. And in your, uh, in your bulletin, there's uh, on the going uh, words to live by and the going deeper section. Can you guys have that? Just hold it up for a second. This is what uh, I'm going to ask as Neil is, is uh, leading and in worship here. Uh, I would ask that uh, there's a couple lines at the bottom of the, of the page where it says uh, a confession is, is one of the lines. And, uh, and the other one, what's the other word there? Comrade? What a bad word I chose. Comrade. Uh, I should have chose like something else that started with a C, like maybe community. I don't know. Um, confession and comrade. This is what I, I would like us to, to do. Uh, let's take a couple moments. And, uh, and as, as we are here in, are we going to be in silence? They're coming? Okay. <laughs> as, as, we, as Neil is, is uh, playing in, in worship, uh, maybe God has been stirring up something in you in the last, uh, last 30 minutes, and there's been an issue in your life that you just know has been in darkness, and you need to confess it, and you just need to bring that out. And so this is what I, I'm going to ask. Is that just? And, and this is private, okay? So so please respect other people's privacy in this moment here. Um, right down on that line, just that which is in the darkness in your life. And then underneath there, write uh, a name of an individual that you would that you would go and you would talk to in the next seven to fourteen days. You say, hey, can I can I share this with you? Can I share with what's going on in my life? A safe place. Somebody that you know that there's, there's going to be mutual uh, love, mutual grace. They're not going to judge you. But you're just going to bring it out in, into the open. So, uh, Neil, would you mind just leading us in some worship right now? And then, and then I'm going to come up and I'll close us off in a, in a word of prayer at the end of the song here. So, Jesus, he stands at the temple courts and after witnessing maybe one of the most grace-induced statements that we read in scripture he makes his declaration he says I am the light of the world if you follow me you won't walk in darkness but you will walk the light of life. What an incredible promise. What a freeing promise that we have. So this, this morning, if there has been something that has been, uh, God has been stirring up in your hearts, that something that has been residing in darkness, my encouragement to you is to bring that into the light. Not, not by yourself. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. But prayerfully consider somebody that you could bring that to. Uh, I, I showed you, uh, there's a, a, a picture of my son uh, that you guys saw earlier. If you can throw that back on. This picture uh, was taken uh, literally three minutes after he was born. And uh, it's kind of a, a special picture to me. And I was just thinking about 
this moment and what we're talking about here, Jesus being the light of the world. And the light that is on uh, Beckham is the first light he has ever seen. They put him underneath a, a, a heat lamp. And uh, it's the first light he's ever seen. And his eyes were just transfixed on this light. That's what he's looking at there. His eyes are just like just focused on the light. It's like, what is this? This is so awesome. Those other uh, hands that you see there, those are the doctor's hands. And, and they, they had a, a team that came in to come and, and clean Beckham up. And they cleaned him up and they got all the stuff out of his mouth and they were so quick and they were so efficient. And it, like I was just watching in awe as the doctors and the, the team there just cleaned him up. And, and I thought to myself, this is community. Like, like this is the role of the church. This is what we do with one another. As our eyes are focused on Christ, those around us, they guide us. They clean us up. They give us strength when we're weak. Beckham couldn't do anything. He couldn't clean himself up. That was doctors. They did that. That's the role of you and me that we have with one another. So, Sun West, can we be that? Can we be that for each other? Can we be that community that is willing to walk, not in condemnation, not in judgment, but in grace and in, and in mercy, constantly pointing people to Jesus? We have a high Christology, right? We have a high Christology. Jesus, if Jesus is the light of the world, let's constantly and consistently point people to who Jesus is and the light of life that he brings. Amen? Amen. Can you stand with me and let's close off in a word of prayer. If you, uh, if you need prayer, I think we have a prayer team that uh, gathers here and we would love to pray with you. It's our privilege to pray with you and to point you to who the person of Jesus is. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this community of lovely, beautiful Christ followers. God, I, I pray that we as a church, we as individuals, that we would walk in the light of who you are, a light that brings life, a light that shines deep into the darkest areas of our life, exposes those things which hinder our relationship with you, and causes us the freedom, gives us the freedom to walk in liberty, walk in mercy and grace without shame, without guilt, without condemnation that is only found in and through you. We thank you for that. So we just say our lives are an offering to you. We love you. We want to live for you. We want to shine brightly for you. In your name, all God's people said, amen, amen. You're just...